Welcome to episode 206 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us today. I'm so excited about this week's guest, and I think you're going to like what we have in store for you. Mark Nepo is a poet, philosopher, best-selling author, and teacher who has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time. With his latest book, More Together Than Alone, he looks at how, despite our increasingly global existence, we've actually become more isolated and divided. The stories in his book each hold a lesson that we can learn from today and use to create a more hopeful world for tomorrow. So let's hear what Mark has to say. Mark, welcome to Live Happy Now. I've got to say, first of all, it's, it's really an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate being here with you. You know, you've written a book, More Together Than Alone, that is really fascinating and really timely. And what I found interesting was learning that you took 12 years to write this. But it seems like something that that just in the last, say, three years has become particularly relevant. So can you talk about what led you to write this and, and why that process began more than sure. a decade ago? Yeah. And, you know, and, it, and the timing that it was done in, in the world now is way beyond me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, so I, I started working on this 12, 13 years ago. And, and I was just really compelled and interested in stories of moments when we've worked well together and the lessons of those stories. I wasn't looking to, you know, create or discover some social theory or pattern. I simply wanted to gather stories across history and across cultures of how we are more together than alone, because I really believe, and and I think this uh, book affirms it, that there is a lineage of interdependence and care that is as old as human beings. And, you know, I, I th- when I look back further, like, where did that come from in, in me to want to do that? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm now, I'm 68, but in my 30s, as you might know from my work, I'm, I'm a long-term cancer survivor and almost died in my 30s. And And I think looking back, one of my first real raw, tender, unbreakable experiences of community were in those waiting rooms and treatment rooms. You know, all of a sudden, you know, you're thrown in a in a waiting room with people you don't know and forget being polite and and all the kinds of ways we're told to behave in public. All of a sudden you're sitting next to someone and you go, how you doing? And they go, not so good. <laughs> you say, I'm scared. You mad? Me too. And then you're all of a sudden on this deep journey together and helping to save each other's lives. And, and that's always that authenticity and that vulnerability has always stayed with me as one of the like elements of health and of being alive. And so I think I started to look for where, where's the trail of that in, in our history as, as human beings. And where did it take you initially as you started, you know, pulling that thread and, and unraveling that mystery? Can you kind of tell us the journey of, of, that you walked down to start writing this book? Well, actually, you know, when it, when it, when I first started writing, I was curious, like, did I, I happened and just ha- and I dedicate the book to the great historian Howard Zinn and I didn't know him well or long, but in the time that I chance to meet him, I, I was able to interview him once and uh, in depth and it was and then spend some time with him later. It was such an inspiration. So I asked him, you know, I had just started to explore this and I I said, 
you know, does, I'm really like intrigued with this. Do you think this makes sense? You're the, you're such a historian. Oh, he said, oh, definitely. <laughs> he said, and he gave me this powerful, which I used from that conversation as the quote to open the entire book. He said, he said, you know, when the Wright brothers were the first flew that very first plane for 27 seconds, he said, everybody knew it was just a matter of time. And he said, why not? socially? Why not culturally? Why not with community? He said, if we can have moments where we are more together than alone, and he didn't use that phrase, but when we can have moments like that, it's just a matter of time till we can actually, you know, live like Martin Luther King's beloved community. And so I just started looking and searching and listening to stories. And it was a very, you know, as a poet, my research at, at any point in any kind of book is not linear or logical. It's really just very intuitive and uh, and tracking and, oh, I'm here and I hear a story on a plane or in an airport or I'm on a beach or then I read and then I find this book. And I just started like gathering and just filing them away and filing them away. And then, you know, in time, I, I, I hired someone of like spirit and mind to help research what I call the dive spots, places I thought, you know, there must be good stuff here, but I'm only one person. I can only read so many hours a day. <laughs> so I started to get help. And then, which is always interesting in a book, the way the, the kind of architecture by which I needed to gather these things was not the structure of the book that you see. Like I needed to look in one way that made sense to gather and track everything. But when it actually came time to put it together, it started to present itself in a different way that was, I think, more accessible. How interesting. Observe. Yeah, because it do, it's, it is very accessible. And it's oh, very, good. <laughs> it's, and it's so thoughtful. I mean, you're a poet, so, so I guess we should expect that. But the thoughtfulness, I, that's the only word that comes to mind for it, that you feel as you're reading this, is, is so apparent. Oh, thank you. And, and when did you know that it was the right time to put these stories together, to compile well, this and release that? Well, actually, it was, I really kind of worked and worked and worked and then kind of felt like it was over. It wasn't more than a, than a decision like, oh, let's do it now. Uh, you know, John Stuart, <laughs> John Stuart Mill, the British painter and, and writer, he said, you never finish a poem, you surrender it. <laughs> and, and I think that's the same thing with books. And, and this book, interestingly, you know, this, uh, of all my books, this book came very slowly and kind of thickly. And I'm sure some of it was because of the research, but it just was different. So that's why it took so long, because I would work on it for maybe two or three months, and then it would beat me up. And I have to put it down and go to some other books or teach for a while and then come back to it. And so it was like, it really was heavy lifting. And it's the only book of all my books that in the middle, I wondered, am I going to be able to finish this? I've never, every other book, I was never had that question. And then I got through this kind of confusing patch and I said, oh, oh yeah, I'll be, able, I'll be able to see this through. Well, I'm glad you did. No, thank you. <laughs> There's so much we can learn from it. And, you know, you talk about this connection that we have, and I think you're right that we do want to live that way. So many of us think, why can't we? Why can't we get there? And right now it feels more divisive than ever. So 
we've taken steps backward here recently. So how do we heal that? How do we find connections at a time when things are so divisive? Well, let, let's, that's, a, of course, that's the question. And, um, and let's back up a little bit to look, to hold that question in, in the historical context of humanity and, and of what, so, so the one thing is that I kind of discovered, and I think just from this book, but from my other work, as, as a spiritual seeker, is that there is no permanent state of enlightenment or arrival. There's no like permanent community. So even, you know, individually or together. So at least that's not been my experience. Maybe somebody, maybe the Dalai Lama is permanently enlightened, but that's not been my <laughs> experience on earth. I'm not saying it can't happen. But so we gather the best of our moments and keep going back. You know, medieval Medieval monks, when asked how they practiced their faith, said by falling down and getting up. And that's the biggest lesson, I think, from everything in this book is we, we have to get up one more time than we fall down. We have to be kind one more time than we hurt each other. We have to be safe and clear one more time than we're afraid. And all of these great stories and these inspiring examples help us for our turn. And we're in the middle of a turn right now our turn as humanity and not not just in america but all over the globe and so i think some of the things and we can talk about some of those things that separate us and and one of the big ones is fear and and what that does to us if unchecked and how it leads to a whole way of life that we then build on so you know i i have a and, and so let me first start by saying addressing i think where we are a little bit in in the world today and i think that things in life and this is kind of a like a law of spiritual physics things are always coming together and falling apart at the same time and that's naturally and then you add to that how we inadvertently break things and really <laughs> and that makes it even more acute we're like five-year-olds with this planet aren't we oh my god you know <laughs> but i think that we don't have an accurate sense of where this is going because one of the out of proportion things is that we in the modern global world, I feel, are addicted to the noise of things falling apart. That things, when they fall apart, make a lot of noise. Things, when they come together, are quieter. And as being addicted to that, the, the chaos, the noise, the fear, the violence, it's real. And it's way in the foreground. So we need an extra effort to hear also the things that are coming together and all of the antidotes that are right beside us. And, you know, and just for example, when I, you know, when I was growing up and there were very, not that many TV stations, but when you had the weather report, it was called the weather report. Now it's called Stormwatch. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it follows the breaking news. So. Right. Breaking news, right. And so there you go. You know, like it's always in the foreground. And I think that, so, so when we look at fear and how this has played in our life, let's, there's a chapter in there called The Two Tribes. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that for the kind of context across history. So, you know, first today in our world and say in America, I am as a person in this community, I was raised Jewish. I have a, a deep tie to my Jewish heritage, though religiously or spiritually, I'm a student of all paths. And I had family two generations back die in the Holocaust. 
So all of a sudden, how am I supposed to hold that there are Nazis and white nationalists in America walking the streets of America? It's troubling to say the least. It's frightening. And I know that my response as a person is that, especially given my heritage, I just know I have to be more visible. And every day I have to ask, what is that? Because I don't know what that means. And every day it's something different. But I know that I have to be more visible. Now, as a spirit, as a person that's just done all this research, and I look back and I go, well, this isn't the first time in history that these discords have shown their face. So as we look back across history, there have been long like swells in the ocean of time, long periods of time when we've come together and long periods of time when we've pushed each other away. So if we go all the way back, and this gets to the two tribes, you know, I tried to imagine. So I'm trying to imagine the first time one human being came upon another. Before that, they thought they were alone. And so imagine one at the mouth of a cave seeing another inside the cave. And they go, oh, my God, who are you? What are, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then imagine the one in the cave looks at his other and says, you're different. Go away. And I think that was the beginning of the go away tribe. And based on fear, the go away tribe pushes away anything or anyone that's different. And the first thing is you can't grow unless you welcome things other than yourself. But based on that fear, when it gets strong enough, there are periods in history like now where members of the go away tribe have said, you know, I can't trust you'll go away. I'm going to have to put you where I can watch you. So let me put you in a detention center or a refugee camp or in exile or in a ghetto. And when fear has metastasized so that it is the God to which we pray, then we've had these horrible, these horrible periods of genocide where the members of the go away tribe have said, you know, I can't even trust you'll be where I put you. I have to make you go away. But we go all the way back to the mouth of that cave, and the other person looks in the cave and says, oh, you're different. Come teach me. And I think that was the beginning of the come teach me tribe. Plato was part of the come teach me tribe. He said, we're born whole, W-H-O-L-E, but, but we need each other to be complete. And when that, you know, that, that feeling of, oh, my God, thank God you're not me. Teach me what I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, we are more together than alone. Let's share what we what we know and don't know. And that's led to the highest moments of civilization. You know, and a long moment of civilization, which I talk about in a chapter, is the Iberian Peninsula. That is from like 750 to 1450 in Spain, where Muslims, Jews, and Christians, they just didn't tolerate each other. They loved each other. They intermarried. They had... They shared all their knowledge, and these were incredible high points of learning and growth. But the catch is that we belong to both tribes. And though I can tell you today I am committed with my whole heart to be a part of the Come Teach Me tribe, we could get off this interview and something will happen to me that will cause such fear in me that I'll, I'll switch tribes. And then I need you to remind me that we are more together than alone. And this constant vigilance of care and goodness to what I feel to lean into our true nature is what we're being called upon. So what are some of the things that keep us in the go away tribe? Well, 
You know, there's somewhere in the book where I, I quote a contemporary developmental psychologist, Robert Keegan, who teaches at Harvard. And it's very helpful what he says. He defines centrism, like any kind of egocentrism or ethnocentrism or nationalism, any way of, of thinking or being that puts us at the center above everything else. He defines that as when we mistake what is familiar as true. Wow. That's powerful. Isn't that? That's profound. And that's very helpful. So we must, we stop looking for what's true and we mistake, oh, I know this, it must be true. And then what's really dangerous is by definition, like that person in the cave, we react to what's not familiar as false. And now we start pushing everything away. And wow, that's really, really helpful. And we can see, so, so what happens now, we just take it one step further, then I'll pause, <laughs> that, that if we mistake what is familiar as true, then education for the go-away tribe, when we're a part of it, is confirming what we, only what we know. That's what it means to learn, is we only seek what will confirm what we already know. Well, that's, that's by not learning. Right. No matter how much you know, the only way you learn is by edging and welcome into and welcome what you don't know. And that's such a good lesson for right now because we see that occurring. The way that you believe will shape which news channels you watch. And I will sometimes watch channels that are different than my own opinions and my own beliefs just to see how things are being presented. And it's like two different planets. And and so I think that what you're talking about is exactly what we're seeing going on each uh, faction, if you want to call it that, people are finding the medium that reinforces what they believe and where their mindset is, instead of saying, opening, entertaining the thought that maybe that's not the correct news or the correct facts. So, so one one thing, and this is very hard because we need every effort at every level to help uh, move this into the kindness the long history of, of care that we're talking about. We need every effort. And so while at the same time, we need to act and legislate and protest and listen and do all these things, at another level, I really feel, and this is, this you can see in every age, we need to stop speaking our conclusions and asking for each other's stories. Very insightful. Because conclusions and assumptions, we all know how cholesterol and you know calcification, our arteries can harden. Well, the arteries of our, our emotional, spiritual heart and our mind, that's what hardens our arteries of our mind and heart, our conclusions and assumptions when we stop. And, and so we need to clear out our conclusions and ask for each other's stories. Because, you know, as soon as we ask for conclusions, we'll start being at odds. And we may never agree about certain things. But when I can stop and say to you, boy, I see how strongly you feel about that. What happened in your life that you feel so strongly about that? What led you to have such a strong 
position, then we start sharing our humanity. Then we start clearing out our assumptions and starting letting the blood flow, the blood of story flow between us. And that's very powerful when you understand where someone's coming from. It doesn't necessarily change how you feel about their, their thoughts or their beliefs, but it does give a sense of compassion. It gives me a greater understanding when I say, okay, this is what happened to them. This is what shaped those views. At least now I understand how they got there, even if I don't agree with where they're at. And if there's stories and sharing authentically without judgment starts to allow us to reveal and, and, and make our bonds, and then there's room for more than one opinion. When we're afraid, there's only room for one opinion, the opinion that we think will keep us safe. You know, one of the, the if there is one kind of insight or pattern that I could say from all the stories that I've researched, through this, it would be that when fear makes us think that self-interest will save us or protect us, love and suffering affirm for us that we're more together than alone. And you have something coming up that I really want our listeners to know about because you've got some courses that you're going to offer. Because what you've given, you know, we could we could talk all day and just because there's so much wisdom that you have to impart and so much guidance that you have to offer. So. How is it that they can tap into oh, that? Thank you. So starting next year, I'm going to be offering three different courses, spiritual journeys. One is a week long, one is a weekend, and one is a year long. And if people go to uh, threeintentions.com, one of my websites, you'll find a video introduction, you'll find links, detailed information, and how you can sign up. So I, I'm blessed to be able to travel all over and do groups. And I, I also love to try to offer these kind of extended uh, journeys as well. That's fantastic. And we will also on our website give the uh, visitors links so they can get there and, and sign up for the courses through that well, as thank well. Thank you. Absolutely. Mark, I, I appreciate you taking time to talk with us today. Uh, again, you have so much to share. This, this book is really powerful. I cannot think of a more timely book for someone to sit oh, down. Oh, thank you. And again, thank you for the imparting of this wisdom on us. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So take care and thanks so much for having me. Thank you. That was Mark Nepo talking about how we can learn to come together despite our differences and find greater understanding of those around us. You can learn more about Mark by visiting us at livehappynow.com and we'll also tell you where you can find his book or sign up for his course. We hope that you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and on iTunes and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform, then hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week, so we'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.